I really felt like I had everything just ripped out from under me. I had lots of opportunities. My life was just beginning. And then that all flipped upside down. And there were many thoughts surrounding what if I am not around to experience any of that. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Conway, New Hampshire, Idaho Falls, Idaho, and Reykjavik, Iceland. We appreciate you all helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 59 of season 5, number 358 overall. So, what were you doing when you were 21 years old? If you're like most people, you probably felt like you were ready to take on the world. You were ready to start your life. This was perhaps the most exciting time in your life. But that was not the case for my guest today. Because what began as somewhat of a mysterious bump eventually was diagnosed as something far more sinister. You see, at the age of just 21, Leif Arneson learned that he had a rare form of cancer. And while his friends were living their best life, Leif's life turned into a blur. He began spiraling into this negative headspace, isolating himself from friends and family. A family, by the way, that did not have any real history of cancer. But then, a ray of light hit Leif. Because he would be okay, he would get a second chance and a fresh start. And so he made this vow to himself. He said, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that I never go through this experience again. And so Leif is here today to share all that that vow would ultimately entail because he has gone from being just another guy to being a hulking, powerful guy. He's found his passion in fitness and he is a strong man if there ever was one. His is an evolution involving a nutrition overhaul, rethinking the fuel that he was putting in his body. And he wondered, could any of that played a role in his diagnosis? And while it's impossible to say for sure, what he does know is that there is a huge link between diet and cancer, and it is a huge part of his pledge to himself that he will do everything in his power never to go through anything like that again. And along the way, his journey back to health, he also discovered that you don't need meat and you don't need dairy. You don't need either of those things to become big and strong. You don't need them for six pack abs or bulging biceps. You can have all of that just by eating a healthy plant-based diet. And so this cancer survivor turned fitness enthusiast, Leif Arneson, co-founder of The Vegan Gym, he is here today to share his incredible story with us, the story of how he power lifted cancer right out of his life. My friend, it is so good to see you here. I really appreciate being here, Chuck. Thank you so much for having me. What I love about you is you have like literally just power lifted cancer out of your life completely. And now you're walking around with this chiseled physique, eating a 100% plant-based diet and just loving life. So right at the top, bro, I got to tell you that you are one incredible inspiration. I really appreciate that. Um, I just uh, am doing what I can to kind of spread the message of a healthy plant-based lifestyle. And this is kind of the doing that through fitness is really what has spoken to me. And I'm just uh, honored that people are interested in my story and interested in kind of getting uh, some guidance from me. So yeah, it's, uh, it's totally my honor. Let's dive into that story, man. So you were 21 when you were diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. Which form of cancer was that? 
So it's called Langerhans cell histiocytosis, and it's a uh, yeah, it's a it was a rare form of cancer. It was just kind of totally out of left field. I had what uh, the doctors told me was a cyst, and I had that for uh, a number of months. And it was starting to just kind of annoy me. And the doctors told me it wasn't something to be worried about. And they said, hey, it's just a harmless cyst. Uh, this is not something you need to worry about. And I, it just started becoming annoying uh, because it was right kind of under my belt buckle. So I eventually decided to uh, have it uh, removed. So I went, uh, given its placement, I went to a urologist and they um, looked at, uh, at this lump and my urologist actually had a different perspective on what this potentially might be than my general practitioner did. So right off the bat, uh, he said, it's a, we'll figure out what it is after we remove it. We'll run a, a biopsy on it and see, see what it was. And I wasn't too concerned about it at that point, but I, um, he was a little perplexed, um, and he wasn't really sure what it was. So, um, definitely didn't think that it was anything serious, but I wasn't sure that it was the, uh, cyst that, that, uh, my general practitioner had told me it was. But the, the cyst, like there wasn't a whole lot of pain or anything associated with, with it, right? You just noticed this, this bulge essentially. And you're like, eh, I wonder what that is. Let me go get that checked out. It actually did start to become painful because it was right under my belt buckle. And I um, now I mostly wear gym shorts, so I don't really wear wear belts anymore. <laughs> but back then, like I would wear belts and it just uh, it was kind of right under my belt buckle. So it would rub against it and it was actually painful uh, from that. So it wasn't it, it wasn't just um, it wasn't really painful, but it was just a nuisance that I, I didn't want to deal with anymore. So. That's why I ended up deciding to have it removed. So talk to me about the emotions of the day of the surgery. So you're going, going in there thinking, okay, well, this is just the cyst and that's that. Um, how long after that, though, was it that you got a call from the doctor with the results? Yeah, so when I went in, it just um, that was really the only surgery I had ever had up to that point in my life. So I was a little on edge given the fact that I'm going into surgery, but I was mostly in good spirits. I wasn't really concerned and it wasn't uh, a surgery that was um, really life-threatening in any way. So I wasn't uh, overly concerned about the surgery itself, uh, but I had the surgery, woke up, everything went flawlessly. And then I just went about my life for the next few days. And I forget the exact number of days afterwards, but it was within three or four days that uh, my urologist who performed the surgery said that uh, he got the biopsy results back and he asked me to come into the office to discuss them. And right off the bat, I started getting some weird feelings about how he was going up how he was going about uh, sharing this news. So I was a little uh, on edge heading into that meeting and kind of right off the bat, he just cut right to the chase. And he said, I don't, uh, I, I don't know the details really of, um, of this diagnosis in terms of what exactly uh, Langerhans cell histiocytosis is, but essentially it's a rare form of cancer and uh, that's what your um, biopsy came back positive for. And I don't really remember any of the other details of that meeting because my, the, my brain just kind of went blank at that point. And it was, uh, it was a really life-changing moment, uh, more so than anything else I've experienced in my life. And I just had lots of conflicting thoughts running through my mind. As you mentioned in the intro, I was just 21 years old at the time. I was heading into my senior year of college. In fact, I was uh, about a week and a half from starting uh, my senior year. And I had just been diagnosed with what I came to find out was a rare form of cancer. So that really turned my life upside down. And the 
the coming month after that was really just a blur as I went, uh, I, um, a few days later, I met with an oncologist and he actually referred me to another oncologist who had some experience with Langerhans cell histiocytosis. And so, um, he was, uh, he operates out of Annapolis and I would make the three hour, uh, trip there with my mom, um, a few times per week for a period of a few weeks. And we went through a bunch of different, uh, um, scans. I had scans done on my entire body, all different, uh, types of scans. I had, um, other things done like, uh, spinal taps and, um, and a bunch of other tests to determine if the cancer had spread. So I was just really, I was really just kind of on pins and needles waiting to figure out what my future looked like. And I was in a really negative headspace around that time. And I didn't, I didn't know what my future held. And just, just prior to the surgery, I felt like I really had every um, opportunity ahead of me. I was about to graduate from a pretty good school. I was at the top of my class. I was going to get, um, I was majoring in uh, engineering and finance. Like I had a lot of, um, I just felt like my whole life was ahead of me. And then that turned upside down in the, in a period of uh, a week. Did you continue on with school uh, as you're going through this battery of tests or did you kind of postpone that senior year? I did go through school and wow. that was challenging. Um, I was kind of doing half school, half travel and testing. And I think in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have been trying to do both of those simultaneously because I was just totally checked out of my, my studies. And I actually, um, I had a professor just kind of confront me and ask me what was going on. This wasn't something that I really wanted to share with people. I didn't want people to treat me differently or I didn't want to feel like I was different. I, I was chasing some semblance of normality in my life. And that was school was, I thought going to be kind of a grounding part of that. So I really didn't even tell, um, I told maybe two of my closest friends, about it, just kind of told them what was going on. But outside of that, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody and I just kind of tried to power through it. And yeah, I didn't, uh, I wasn't able to really show up. Um, and I, I really started withdrawing from even the people who were really supporting me, my friends, my family. And I just felt, uh, I felt more alone during that time than I ever have in my life. Uh, I've always had lots of support from family and friends. I have an incredible family. And even though they were showing up uh, 100% during that time, it was it was really lonely going through that. Did you internalize it to the degree that you did because maybe talking about it would make it more real and maybe there was still kind of a, a sense of denial? I think that's pretty spot on. I, it's hard to know exactly what I was thinking during that time because I was, I, I, there was a lot of stuff going on in my mind. So I don't know that I was necessarily thinking so clearly, but I, I, I do think that there was certainly denial happening in, in my head. And I didn't really want to believe what I was going through. It, um, it's, it always seems like that happens to other people. Other people get diagnosed with cancer at 21. Other people have a heart attack. Other people go through serious traumatic events in their life. It seems like, um, there had never, there was no history of cancer in my family. Uh, there was a long history of health in my family, in fact. And I think that just further added to the the why me kind of uh mindset that i had yeah that's interesting so often when we hear these stories on the show people come on and they they talk about a long family history of anything other than health and so if i'm you i'm feeling even more 
isolated. And that why me kind of question that you just posited is one that's going to haunt me. I mean, so as you're kind of withdrawing from a lot of things, I would imagine then that there's this depression that washes over you as well. I, yeah, I've, I've never really experienced, um, depression in, in any serious way, but if there was a time in my life where I felt kind of hopeless and, and, uh, depressed, it was definitely during this time. I, so I, I really felt like I had everything just ripped out from under me. I, as I said, I was, I had, um, I was doing well in school. I had lots of opportunities heading out of school for future employment. I had, I felt like my life was just beginning in head transitioning out of school. And then that all flipped upside down. And I, there were many thoughts in my mind surrounding the idea of what if I am not around to experience any of that. And that's a really sobering thought. And I, it's, it's really difficult to, to experience those emotions and want to continue showing up and pushing through. And I did, I did feel hopeless through, through those first few weeks. And it was, it was really challenging. No, no question about it. So you go through all of these batteries of tests, the diagnosis is confirmed. What's next in that process? Is there another course of treatment that's laid out? Is there another surgery that the doctors want to do? What is shaping up for you at that point? So after I went through all the, those tests, it was about a period of four weeks. I went through all those tests and the, uh, the conclusion was that we had removed the cancer before it had a chance to spread. So immediately my whole perspective started changing again. And I realized that I had a, a second opportunity that I, I had gone through this traumatic experience. I had a experienced what it felt like to go through a serious diagnosis and then feel like I was handed a, a, a fresh start and I had a new kind of outlook on, on life. So that, that four week period was really dark and I, I, didn't know what my future held and then to get a totally clear diagnosis after the fact was um was just such a blessing i can't i can't begin to ex to explain kind of the the sense of gratitude that washes over you in in that uh kind of reversal of your your kind of long-term health prospects. So that was, um, that was really, that was really, uh, substantial. And so, so when you say that you got this, this clear diagnosis, I'm assuming then that what you mean is like when they went in and, and they got this thing, they think that they got it all correct. Correct. It, uh, it was, um, they determined after all the tests that I had unifocal, uh, LCH Langerhans cell histocytosis, which is just a single, um, point. Uh, so Langerhans cell histocytosis spreads through your lymphatic system. And, um, it was just a contained, uh, area of, uh, lymph nodes that were affected from this. So they removed that entire section and then I had a kind of a, a clear uh, bill of health from that point. Um, there was talk from my oncologist about going through um, and doing potentially doing chemo and radiation just to kind of make sure that uh, that this didn't um, kind of surface again. And that's when I really started questioning um, conventional medicine. And I decided if I was going to be healthy long-term, if I was never going to have to go through such a diagnosis again, I needed to take full control of my health. 
I needed to be the one who was determining my life path. So that's really the spark that started my interest in uh, lifestyle um, and figuring out what I could do to avoid going through that experience again. I, I decided I will do whatever I need to do to never go through that experience again. And I really wish that I could give people that mental breakthrough if they are just kind of kicking the can down the road when it comes to their health. It is truly something that, and that really didn't kind of describe me uh, when I was faced um, faced with this diagnosis, but I know that is what uh, how lots of people live. And I would really just love to give them some perspective on what I went through to understand this is not something that you want to push off until you face such a diagnosis. Why not start taking action today to make sure that day never comes? So, so what, what, yeah, what was, I mean, you're coming from a family of health at this point, and now we're, we're getting into the preventative medicine and the lifestyle aspect of your story, which is the, the absolutely the best part, no question about it. But what was your diet? What was your lifestyle like prior to receiving this diagnosis? So I, I had always had weird dietary patterns. Um, when I was going through high school, I, um, I went through a period of, uh, having an undiagnosed eating disorder. I would, um, I was really into cross country and I was a hundred percent convinced that the thinner I was, the better I would be at cross country. So I, um, went through, um, a period of about a year where I severely restricted my calories and I ended up graduating high school at uh, 130 pounds. I'm currently about 190, uh, same height. And that I was just really thin. That wasn't improving my performance in cross country, but I had convinced myself it was. So I went through that period and then I started getting more interested in uh, building muscle. And I thought that was the key to increasing confidence. And in many ways it, it turned out to, uh, be true in helping me to build confidence. But I went through a period where I started focusing on bodybuilding nutrition. So I started reading, uh, these articles on bodybuilding.com and other places that told me, Hey, you need to start consuming more animal products. You need to do the half dozen eggs for breakfast. You need to do chicken breast and rice and broccoli for lunch and steak for dinner and all these things. So I started focusing on that. And from my perspective, everything I was reading was told, told me that I was eating really clean, which just means that I'm eating wholesome, nutritious foods that are fueling my body, both for my health and for my fitness goals, uh, which at the time was building lean muscle. So I started going through more of a period where I was focusing on lots of vegetables and lots of animal products, uh, specifically chicken, steak, eggs, salmon, and I was really focusing on that. So everybody told me, wow, you're so healthy. How can you, how can you be, uh, focusing on just, how can you be so strict with your nutrition and focusing on such healthy foods all the time? And it, uh, that, that kind of fueled my desire to continue living that way. And it was just reinforced by everything I was reading and what other people were telling me, wow, you're so healthy. Um, I wish I could eat like you and stuff like that. So that is what I had been doing up until the point where I was diagnosed with cancer. And then after I, I got, uh, went through that cancer diagnosis, I realized that I needed to revisit my approach to nutrition and really do more concrete research beyond just reading some bro science articles online. That's when I started, I, I first read uh, the China study 
that book was instrumental in shifting my perspective from focusing on animal-based sources of uh, protein in particular to switching to a more whole food plant-based diet. And at that time, I decided, you know what? I don't care if I can't build muscle. I never want to experience what I just went through ever again, period. I will, and I, I was firmly in the mindset of I will eat dirt for the rest of my life if that means I will never go through that experience again. That's how traumatic that experience was for me. So thankfully, I didn't have to eat dirt. I realized that um, I could consume lots of delicious, wholesome plant foods, and I start going. I started going down that path, and that really opened my nutrition. I focus my perspective on what healthy eating truly means. I started learning so much about the importance of a whole food plant-based diet and the immense power that a whole food plant-based diet has to tr uh, drastically improve your health and uh, keep any kind of disease at bay. So, that's when I started um, kind of shifting toward a plant-based lifestyle. And then after a few months of uh, focusing on a whole food plant-based diet, I watched, I stumbled across the film Earthlings. And up until that point, I had never heard the word vegan, really. Maybe I had heard it in passing uh, here and there, but I didn't really know what it meant and once I watched Earthlings, that was another huge light bulb for me. And I realized, okay, this is bigger than me. Um, and here is this lifestyle that is not only best for my health, but best for the animals and the planet at large. And I realized that is the best win-win-win you can possibly have. And that is what shifted me towards uh, identifying as a vegan. So I've now been, I've now been vegan for over eight years and that, uh, we can talk a little bit more about my journey from whole food, uh, plant-based, uh, living to, um, incorporating fitness back into my, my vegan journey. But that, um, that's how I kind of made that switch to whole food plant-based. Oh, I definitely want to talk about that um, because I, I saw a video that you had posted on YouTube from 2017, right before you started. I think it was a, like a 90 day shred or something like that. And the before and after was just, holy cow, is this really the same guy right now? <laughs> um, like that, that was just, that's crazy. Um, but a couple of things I want to unpack before we get there. Um, number one, you're talking about the copious amounts of animal protein you were consuming prior to the diagnosis. And yeah, I mean, just like so many of us, you think that like, that's the healthy thing to be doing. Um, would I be correct in inferring that you think that that was at least a contributing factor for your diagnosis? So Langerhans cell histiotysis. Uh, Langerhans cell histiocytosis is a very rare disease. There is not much known about it. Um, and I didn't get any concrete answers from even the oncologist who had treated LCH patients previously in terms of what really caused that to happen. So there's little known about it. There are some theories, but so I can't say for sure, but what I can say is based on all the research I have done since then, it definitely didn't help. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to know exactly what happened there, but it, and I, I can't say for sure whether it was a contributing factor or not, but it definitely was not, uh, keeping that from happening. And, uh then I guess you said you would eat dirt, you would do whatever it took to uh, stay cancer free. Here you are years later now, still in remission, um, even though, you know, because it's such a rare form of the disease, there's not uh, an enormous amount of data on it like we have with other forms such as breast cancer or prostate cancer. Um, but 
Are you pretty certain though, that your way of eating now, your lifestyle now is really helping propel you toward that cancer-free future and helping you remain in remission? A hundred percent. I have done literally thousands of hours of research and nutrition, and it is abundantly clear that eating plants, um, specifically a variety of whole food plants and making sure that you're getting the right amounts of micronutrients specifically in your diet, that checks all the boxes. And you are that in combination with some form of activity and uh, proper sleep, um, stress reduction um, in the form of activity and mindfulness practices, activity uh, in the form of physical activity, et cetera. And just making sure that you're hydrated, all these other things, as long as you are living a healthy lifestyle that is grounded in plant-based nutrition, that really is setting you up for uh, long-term health. All right. Now let's talk about the vegan gym part of your story. I mean, you got muscles for days, my man. And, and this, this is just fascinating to me. So as I was saying, this video that you posted in 2017, uh, you were already eating a plant-based diet, but with your physique, with, with the way that your body was looking, you weren't really where it was that you wanted to be. So how did you make that transformation? I think that a lot of people are kind of in the shoes that you once were, where you switch over to a plant-based diet and you're concerned like, yeah, I'm going to be really healthy, but my physique may not quite be what I want it to be. So how did you go from looking like the lay person, be perfectly honest, dude, kind of like me to looking all kinds of super shredded, man. What is the secret there? So there's, what I learned in going through that process is there's a difference between um, doing things. There, there's a difference between health and fitness. They can be there's a pure there's a place where you can overlap both of those, and ideally you have both of those balanced. So if you look at it kind of like a Venn diagram, there is so you have the two circles that are overlapping. There is a piece in between that actually checks the boxes on both sides. So when I talk about health, that's pretty obvious. I'm talking about how do we maintain a healthy life for as long as possible? How do we get into old age, uh, being able to play with your grandkids or great grandkids um, and live a healthy lifestyle? And then on the other side, um, we have fitness, which I, used to describe your body composition. So when I say body composition, I'm talking about what your body looks like, the actual composition of your body in terms of the amount of muscle you have and the amount of body fat you have. So it's one thing to be healthy, but health is not necessarily, um, health does not necessarily translate to uh, being strong and looking the way you want in the mirror. So when that's something I started realizing after I was vegan for about a year, I felt really healthy and I knew that I was following the right nutrition plan for my health goals, but I didn't really love the way that I looked. And to be honest, I wasn't really that confident when I took my shirt off, went to the beach, looked in the mirror. And that was something that I decided I wanted to change. So I had done tons of research into plant-based nutrition, specifically for disease prevention and long-term health. And then I started uh, doing more science-based research into the area of fitness-based nutrition and fitness training to accomplish my body transformation, my body recomposition goals. So I really went down this path of trying to figure out how do I accomplish both of these things? How do I become as healthy as possible while also accomplishing my fitness goals, specifically lowering the amount of body fat I had and increasing the amount of lean muscle I had and increasing my strength. So I decided, hey, 
I need to figure this out and I want to just start experimenting on myself based on the research that I was learning. As I touched on earlier, I have a pretty serious background in uh, science, math, research, in kind of going through an engineering curriculum and studying other kind of topics within those areas. And I stumbled across uh, PubMed and I just started just devouring articles on there and just started learning as much as I possibly could. And lots of the fitness-based articles that I was reading um, promoted animal products, whey protein, steak, chicken, etc. But I realized that I could plug both of these things together. I could take what I was learning from these fitness articles and I could apply that to the lifestyle that I want to live, a healthy, whole food, plant-based lifestyle. And I decided, hey, I'm going to figure out the, the uh, formula here to transform my body as a vegan and increase my confidence, increase my strength, and really show others what is possible as a vegan. When I first went vegan, I wasn't... I wasn't in terrible shape, but I had more body fat that I than I wanted to have, and that was actually increasing over my first year of being a vegan. I had more body fat than I wanted. I didn't uh, have the strength that I wanted to have, and I would get uh, kind of these little side comments from friends, and they were just kind of messing around uh, in saying, oh yeah, well, lots of luck because you're vegan now so you can't really build strength or you can't look a certain way and part of it was definitely fueled by wanting to prove them wrong but i i realized that i could use vegan fitness as my own personal form of advocacy for this lifestyle for a healthy whole food plant-based vegan lifestyle so that's really what i sought to do and i decided I'm going to figure out this formula. I'm going to figure out what I need to be doing as a vegan to be super healthy while also looking the way I want to look and inspiring others through that journey. So that's how I started to formulate my thoughts around there. I love the fact that you said you stumbled across PubMed and you start doing a whole bunch of research. 99% of the people who go on the internet, it's about Instagram, it's about Facebook, maybe TMZ, but nope, you're spending all your time on PubMed. I love this show, man, because I get to talk to people like you. You, you are like one of the only other people on the face of the earth who I know who loves PubMed as much as I do. Like my I, hat is off. To I'm you. addicted. <laughs> Dude, it is it is the single greatest website yeah. ever because it is it is like the world's greatest library exclusive for research. And you can find pretty much whatever it is that you're looking for on there. And rest assured, if they don't have it, odds are the studies haven't been done quite yet. Um, you talked about um, you know, weight loss, right? So, but one of the things that you also talk about with the vegan gym is that there's a big difference between weight loss and fat loss. Help me clear up that confusion. What is the difference there? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is a very important concept for people to understand. If your goal is to um, kind of uh, feel better about the way you look and um, increase kind of your confidence in that area. So lots of people, when they have a fitness goal, most people are focusing on weight loss. So I, I made that uh, same mistake when I first started trying to lower my body fat uh, after my first year as a vegan. I was like, okay, I want to lose body fat. I'm focusing on weight loss. Like I need to lose some weight. I want to watch the scale go down. But uh, I like using this example to really illustrate this point. So say that your goal was to lose... 10 pounds and I had some magic ability to just snap my fingers and make that happen instantly for you. Most people would say, wow, that's amazing. Uh, please go ahead, snap your fingers, make that happen. But let's say that I snap my fingers and you do lose 10 pounds uh, of weight, but you actually lose 10 pounds of your lean muscle 
you don't lose 10 pounds of body fats. What that's actually going to have the impact of uh, doing is it's going to increase your body fat percentage because now you're going to be at a lower body weight, but you're still going to have the same amount of body fat. So your body fat percentage is actually going to increase. So your body composition and most people, when it comes to their body composition, want to see their body fat go down and their lean muscle stay the same or potentially increase a little bit. Um, so if instead of your body fat percentage going down, your lean muscle goes down, you are going to look in the mirror and, um, and not like the end result. Even though you have accomplished your goal of losing 10 pounds, you will not like the end result there. So I like using that example to illustrate the point of a pound is not a pound. Um, what you, uh, because there are different parts of your, uh, body composition that you can change. So those two general areas are your body fat and then your lean body mass, uh, which kind of specifically in terms of what you can actually, uh, change is going to be your lean muscle mass. So you have body fat, lean muscle mass, and your goal, if, if your goal is to, uh, lose weight, your goal more specifically is to reduce body fat while maintaining or potentially increasing your lean muscle mass. And that is what is known as body recomposition. So that's actually the secret. And most people who focus on weight loss focus on programs that just count calories or do these other things that do have the end result of making your probably will help you to lose body fat, but they are not optimized for helping you maintain your lean muscle mass. So I'll use another example to further illustrate this point. Let's say that you have um, an approach that kind of evenly, you have a approach to nutrition and fitness, you're following some weight loss program or something like that, that is not optimized for body recomposition and it's not specifically tailored to you and your style of training and your body. Um, so it actually uh, ends up reducing body fat, your body fat and your lean muscle kind of at the same rate. So you end up with a lower body weight at the end, but you look in the mirror and you basically look the same. You're just a little smaller and you look the same because your body fat percentage is the same. Your body fat percentage hasn't changed because you're uh, not just losing body fat, you're also losing lean muscle mass. So that is a really important point to, to keep in mind. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that any diet that focuses on calorie restriction, in other words, consuming fewer calories than you burn every day, is going to have the impact of helping you to lose body weight if that's your goal but it is not optimized for helping you improve your body composition, which specifically reduces body fat while maintaining or building lean muscle mass. So that's the difference between weight loss and fat loss. So that, I mean, so now we're kind of getting into what a lot of people could perceive to be complicated waters. I mean, it seems like there's a lot to, to go into this because when it comes to weight loss, I mean, people focus on two things. It's calorie intake and it's fat intake. Um, when it comes to muscle retention, when a person is trying to burn off fat as well, I mean, what what is the balance there, right? Because you do have to have that caloric deficit, right, in order for that fat to be burned. So how do you have that caloric deficit while still maintaining that muscle mass? Is it focusing on specific foods? Is it really not focusing so much on calories, but really ratcheting up the amount of time that you're spending in the gym? What is the secret there, my man? So there are, as I said, I've literally done thousands of hours of research in, within this, PubMed. Uh, this area PubMed. on PubMed. <laughs> I, yeah, I need to, uh, sometimes I need to hold myself back from just consuming PubMed articles all the time. Cause it just, uh, really kind of ropes me in. Um, but the, there's really, 
after all that research, there's really three things that matter when it comes to body recomposition. So calorie intake does matter. And anybody who tells you that calorie intake doesn't matter, it simply does not understand the fundamentals of weight loss and body recomposition. So I would caution you uh, about listening to those people. So calories do matter. At the end of the day, I said that my background kind of is mostly in engineering. And um, if you have a background in science or engineering or something, you understand the, the laws of conservation of energy. And if you, put, if you um, put energy into your body, it's either going to be burned in the form of energy. So we're burning those through activity or burning those through your metabolism, or there are a few other ones, but those are the main ones. And then you also, um, so that's caloric intake, and then you have caloric expenditure. Those are kind of how you balance uh, the kind of energy equation. So that is known as energy balance. You, your body, if you are burning, um, if you are burning 2,000 calories a day and you eat uh, 1,800 calories per day, then that is a 200 calorie deficit. So your body needs to get those calories from somewhere. And if you set up your diet and uh, activity program correctly, it's going to be per pulling that those extra calories from your fat loss stores. Uh, there are some other places that your body gets energy uh, from your glucose stores in the form of glycogen or uh, your body in some situations can um, can uh, function in ketosis, which is not something that really is recommended. Um, but there are a few other ways. But basically, energy balance does matter. So uh, calories in, calories out, that, uh, that equation does matter. So that's the first one. Second thing that you really need to be focusing on is what is your protein intake? Now, lots of people, especially when we're talking in whole food, plant-based circles, will tell you that protein doesn't really matter and you can get all the protein you need from a wholesome plant-based diet. That is entirely true. Uh, you can get all the protein you need from a whole food, plant-based diet if your goal is just survival. Um, if your goal is to improve your body composition, and specifically if you want to maintain or increase the amount of lean muscle mass that you have in your body, which for the vast majority of people is going to make you feel better and probably improve uh, how you feel you look in the mirror. So if that is your goal um, and you want to lose some body fat while kind of uh, making sure that you are maintaining or building lean muscle mass, then protein needs are going to be higher for you. And you do need to be sure that you're consuming enough plant protein to support your lean muscle mass. And a, a kind of especially um, in the form, uh, if you are focusing on fat loss, it's especially important that you have uh, making sure that you're consuming an adequate amount of protein. So that's the second thing. Calories is number one. Protein is number two. And then number three is the style of training you're doing. So any kind of training is beneficial to your health um, as long as you're not doing it in excess or doing things that uh, don't really align with your level of fitness and you're pushing yourself too hard in that respect. But um, in general, uh, activity in in really any form is going to be beneficial to your health and probably beneficial to your body composition as well. Uh, now what, what I used to do is when I wanted to focus on losing body fat, I would go out and run five miles. I'd get on the stairmaster and climb stairs for 40 minutes. I would focus on doing lots of cardio activities because I was watching the little calorie counter on the cardio machines. It was increasing and I knew, okay, I'm going to be burning more calories and that equals weight loss. There is a, a lot of truth to that. Uh, as I just mentioned earlier, energy balance does matter. So the number of calories that you are burning do factor in to weight loss um, and fat loss as well. 
But what we really need to be sure we're doing is focusing on training in a way that supports our lean muscle mass. And the way you do that is through resistance training. So it doesn't matter if you are using resistance bands at home, if you're throwing around sandbags, if you're doing calisthenics, if you're uh, doing pull-ups at the park or whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're in a gym, um, either in a commercial gym or you build a home gym. It doesn't matter what type of resistance training you're doing. There are many different forms of resistance training and many different styles of resistance training within all of those forms. And you really need to find the one that most aligns with your goals, works into your schedule, is something that's really going to be beneficial to you. So it's, it's really important that you find the right strategy. So I'm talking in a, at a high level here with the, the main categories that matter, but it is important that you have uh, an idea of the, the exact right strategy for you, because even within these categories, if you're checking all these boxes, you still might not be getting the exact results you want because you're not doing exactly what aligns with your specific fitness level, your goals, etc. So um, generally for uh, we, um, we have an online coaching program and what we generally recommend to our clients and what I do myself is I do enough cardio to support my cardiovascular health. Lots of people view cardio as a weight loss tool when in reality the major benefits of cardio is for improving your cardiovascular health that's what cardio stands for after all. So doing some cardio is beneficial, but I do it specifically for my cardiovascular health. And because I enjoy running, I'm one of those weirdos who enjoys running. So <laughs> if you don't enjoy running, you can do whatever you want, but cardio can be beneficial for, uh, is beneficial for your cardiovascular health. But lots of our clients, the main activity that they are doing outside of resistance training is they are just walking. We set a step count and maybe they're walking 5,000 steps per day or 10,000 or whatever it is. Um, and uh, walking, just having some form of low impact activity can have a tremendous impact on your rate of fat loss without really um, uh, causing you to require additional recovery time. So that's a really good way of balancing resistance training with other activity is doing some low impact activity. And I think walking is just phenomenal in, uh, in that respect. So to, yeah, to, to just kind of, uh, give that overview again, energy balance matters. So yes, calories do matter. Uh, protein matters, uh, quite a bit, depending on your specific goals. This is again, plants have all the protein you possibly need. And it's just a matter of getting the right plant foods in your diet. If your goal specifically is body recomposition, uh, or fat loss. So that's number two. And then number three is incorporating some kind of resistance training. It's going to dramatically improve how you how you feel and how you feel like you look in the mirror as well. So those are, um, after thousands of hours of research, those are really the three main things you need to be focusing on. And I recommend that you take some time to, uh, figure out what exact, uh, form of all of those is going to work best for you. And if you did thousands of hours of research on PubMed, you could be smart, just like Leif or you could do the much easier thing and sign up over at thevegangym.com, get some coaching going, um, which would really help you out. And my friend, final question for you today. You've been really, really super generous with your time. Uh, we've talked an awful lot about the nuts and bolts of nutrition. We've heard your phenomenal, inspirational story. Haven't yet asked you, man, what did you eat? This is this is the question that we get most often with our guests. It's like after we get into everything else, they're like, yeah, but Chuck, you never asked what they had for dinner last night. So walk us through what it was that you ate yesterday. So, um, yeah, for, for breakfast, I almost always have berry oatmeal. So I'm having some form of 
uh, berries with oatmeal, and uh, I usually add some protein powder in there as well. So there are a bunch of different vegan protein powders, and some are better than others in terms of the composition. I like as few ingredients as possible in um, any form of food, and protein powder is not different. So that's what breakfast generally looks like for me. Um, if you don't want to use protein powder, there are many other ways of increasing protein content for different foods, including oatmeal. But uh, that's what I had for breakfast yesterday. And for lunch, I had some fajitas. I, um, I'm not too big of a, of a chef, but um, I do make a pretty good vegan fajita recipe. So that's what I had with, uh, so I had vegan fajitas with some um, rice and a, and a salad. So that's generally what, uh, I, I like, I guess it would also be helpful to explain how I think about nutrition and like create different meals. So I always like to include something that is, um, that has the protein content that I need for a specific meal. So in the case of the oatmeal, oats have a lot of protein, but not quite enough for my fitness goals. So I add in some protein powder and that checks the box for, um, for my protein needs. And then I make sure that I have some kind of micronutrient rich uh, component to my meals. So in the case of the oatmeal, I've got some berries in there. Um, and that's a really powerful way to increase nutrition. And in the lunch that I just mentioned, throwing in, um, I have a huge salad. I usually throw on sauerkraut. Um, I love carrots, cucumbers, uh, some bell peppers. I'll just slice all that up, throw in the salad and I make pretty large meals. So I'll just kind of eat it throughout, throughout, uh, a period of 30 minutes or even an hour, depending on what I'm doing. And that's, uh, that's what lunch looked like yesterday. And, um, I actually had some tofu and rice, um, and a smoothie for dinner yesterday. So it, um, yeah, just, uh, so in that, in that, uh, meal, the tofu was the higher protein source and, um, that, uh, and then had some micronutrients in the form of the smoothie that I had. And I'll often throw in both fruit and vegetables to just make a really kind of, uh, nutritious smoothie. And I love, you can just throw anything into a Vitamix or whatever blender you have and just make some epic nutritious smoothies. So that's what I had, but that's how I also look at meals. I look for a protein source, um, a, uh, a source of, um, nutrition, um, like higher, uh, micronutrient content foods. And I also do my best to check off, uh, Dr. Gregor's daily dozen every day, which I think is a really helpful tool. Well, one thing's for sure. Uh, you are not going hungry. Uh, you, no, <laughs> you are not. getting plenty, <laughs> plenty to eat, man. So here it is. The vegan is the website. Go sign up for that coaching there. Check them out on Instagram at the vegan gym. And then also phenomenal YouTube channel as well. Lots of great tips there as well. And my friend, uh, Leif, I just can't thank you enough for being here today, sharing your story, pouring out all of this wisdom you've acquired over the years and that thousands of hours of research that you've done on PubMed. This has been a fantastic hour with you. Thank you so very much for your time. Thank you so much, Chuck. You tell me, how great is that story? You know, a cancer diagnosis at any age can be devastating, but at 21, when you're just getting ready to start your life, it can absolutely wreck you. And yeah, while there were good days and there were bad days and some dark thoughts, Leif always moved toward that brighter future. And he was here today doing his thing, living life in the biggest of ways with the vegan gym. Now, you may not be a power lifter yourself, and that's okay. You're not looking to get shredded. And maybe the only shredding you do is with carrots in the kitchen. 
<laughs> that's perfectly fine. But tell your sons or your daughters about Leif's story. Heck, even tell your grandkids, if you have any. Tell them about his successful battle and how he's now teaching others to get healthy as well. Teaching them about getting those big muscles in the healthiest way possible and doing it by eating clean and jerking dairy and meat right out of his diet. Love is goal too at the vegan gym, a stated goal to help 1 million people get into the best shape of their life by going vegan. And then with a little bit of that rebellious nature too, the goal at the vegan gym also states that they are quote, working to inspire change, spread compassion and challenge the status quo. You go on, you challenge that status quo, Leif. Go and get him, man. <laughs> great story. Great, great story. And switching gears, there is also some great news, some exciting news in the fight against Alzheimer's. A popular fruit is showing promise in fending off the disease. And we get those details now from the exam room news desk. Could strawberries help protect your brain from Alzheimer's? Possibly so, according to researchers at Rush University in Chicago. In a study of nearly 600 adults over the age of 65, data shows that a bioactive compound called pelargonidin may help to prevent protein tangles in the brain that are hallmarks of Alzheimer's. The study shows those who ate the most pelargonidin-packed strawberries developed fewer tangles. The study's author suspects that the anti-inflammatory properties found in the compound decrease overall inflammation in the brain and thus reduce production of proteins that can become tangled and impair cognitive abilities. Researchers, though, say further study is needed. If you go and you look at this study, really kind of flip through it. You'll see really how interesting it actually is. It's part of the Rush Memory and Aging Project that began way back in 1997. And it was then that researchers began working with seniors who were 65 or older in 40 different retirement communities spread across Northern Illinois. And so what these researchers did was they began tracking their eating habits tracking them for nearly 20 years and also gave the participants annual cognitive tests, tests that looked at their various forms of memory as well as their visual abilities. So there's a lot of people there. And that means that you also have a lot of really good data. And so if you would like to get a closer look at it, you can find a link to the study right now in the episode notes. And one more thing about pelargonidin. It's not just found in strawberries, it's found in other berries as well. So like blackberries, cranberries, elderberries, they all have some of it. Raspberries also have a good amount, but strawberries have the most. Strawberries really, really have it packed in there. So the next time you go to the store, you pick up some strawberries, or maybe you even go to pick your own strawberries, feel really good about snacking on that sweet, delicious red fruit. You know, you learn something new every day. And if you feel like you learned something new today, you feel like you've raised your health IQ by a point or two, please take just a second to subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or on Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating because that does help to get this really helpful and life-changing and even life-saving information into the hands of those who need it the most. There's a link to subscribe and leave that five-star rating in the episode notes for you as well. And also don't forget coming up August 18th through the 20th in Washington, DC will be the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine. Good news, limited seats still remaining. Bad news, they will not last long. They are really dwindling at this point. So save yours today, pcrm.org slash ICNM. We're talking about nearly 30 experts speaking over three days. Experts including Dr. Neil Barnard, Dr. Alan Desmond, Dr. Gemma Newman, who will be on the show very soon. Dr. Robin Chuckin, also gonna be on the show very soon. Dean Ornish, 
Dr. Hanna Kaliova, Dr. Brian Carlson, Cyrus Kambata, Robbie Barbero from Mastering Diabetes. They will be there all presenting the latest research on health and nutrition. Cool studies just like the one we just heard about with pelargonidins and strawberries in the fight against Alzheimer's disease. Going to be covering so many different diseases there. And we're going to be recording new episodes of the exam room all throughout the conference, all three days. And you can join us live and in person. That's August 18th through the 20th at the Grand Hyatt, Washington, just a short walk from the White House and the National Mall. And the National Mall is absolutely beautiful. It's where all the monuments are. The Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, World War II, the Reflecting Pool. And then if you look at the far end opposite of the Lincoln Memorial, there's the Capitol. And you have never in your life seen a sunrise as beautiful as you will see over the National Mall. Absolutely breathtaking. And so if you come to the conference and you want one heck of a selfie, there you go. There you go. So save your seat today. Join us for a fantastic three days, sure to raise your health IQ. The food's going to be outstanding. The knowledge is going to be off the charts. And we're going to be recording episodes of the exam room all three days. Visit pcrm.org slash ICNM to join us. pcrm.org slash ICNM. CME credits are available. pcrm.org slash ICNM. And we hope to see you August 18th through the 20th. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Leif Arneson for inspiring us with his incredible story today. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>